Hey everyone, and welcome to The Scene. I'm your host, Jeremy Houtsma. My guest today is Jimmy Statt, the lead vocalist for the band Polar Bear Club. Polar Bear Club has a really special place in my heart. Their music was the soundtrack to me getting my master's degree from 2009 to 2012. They also put on one of the most amazing performances that I've seen. Jimmy and I get into the topic of Polar Bear Club from its inception to its demise, its constant band member changes, and what that process was like. With that said, welcome to the scene. Well, first of all, congratulations. You have a new new kid. Thank you. Um, welcome to the madness. Uh, you have one or two? Two. Nice. So I have a four-year-old and uh, one that just turned one. Um, in Don't know how you January do it. 5th. Don't know how you do it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, partially my wife uh, would be one. But the other, I think, is I don't know either. So, you know, you adapt in ways that you never thought you could. Sure. Um, And you and you like my wife and I were talking about this today is like this week seems easier than last week. And then we were kind of like analyzing why that might be. And we're like, there's not a lot terribly different. We just kind of broke through those walls and like we survived that scenario. And now when we come back around to it, we have like just grown a little bit we're growing too you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, interesting yeah yeah and it really it depends if your kid can sleep okay so we have been really really lucky in that regard and any parenting (laughs) yes any parent listening and maybe even yourself will probably want to punch me in the face but we have uh with our son our first have been very lucky on the sleep front um he is fussy during the day. We've paid for it during the days because, and it's getting better, but he's right. been naps generally pretty. Naps are tough, although today was weirdly easy for naps, knock on wood. But l- sleep has been good. Like the first week, obviously not more so us just being like, is everything okay? Right. He has always slept pretty good. We're, we're, we're at, he hit three months yesterday. So we're approaching probably a regression like this yeah. month or next, but it, you know, we're, we're, we, we, we deal with it as it comes. We have yeah. been lucky in the sleeper. It makes everything so much easier during the day for sure. But even with that, it's like the days have been, have been tough. Like there were weeks where it was just like, there was no happiness during the day, like just none. Yeah. And just like, you know, just, nonstop fussiness that has leveled off now where it's like now it's like pretty much up until about 4 p.m we can manage after 4 p.m 2 2 to 4 p.m you know depends after that time this is just not happy there's just always you're always fighting fighting. so you know it's you know that's more than anyone it changes and you adjust but yeah it's really wild i look back after so my my one-year-old like sleeps amazing so we're really lucky he hit like about a one month regression or one year regression sorry and he's been waking up because he's teething and that sucks um but i look back and when i had my first son and i'm like man i used to think that was really stressful and then i'm like well i 
like this is worse <laughs> um that looks like cake now yeah. compared to like what's going on now um but it's a it's a lot of I don't know. It's just a lot of adapting, lack of sleep. I I run my own business and things like that, so there's like a lot to it and we live kind of removed from from family um which your support systems are a huge, you know, help in a, yeah. in a lot of ways. Um so it's definitely there's times where I've literally felt like I'm fucking losing it like oh yeah i mean it's happening my mind that's happened i think on a daily basis for my wife and i probably over the course of the last like two months at least there's one point in the day where one of us absolutely loses our shit in some some capacity it be it you know tears be it like frustration yeah whatever but you know it again you break through and you're like oh shit like i i dealt with that and i'm still here oh okay I, I right. you learn a lot about the capacity of a person, you know. Yeah, it's it's definitely a growing experience. I to me, I've told people it's it's like um, going through just these huge swings of like elation and also frustration, like yeah, o- you know, like over and over and over again. Where there's times when it's like I would do anything for this kid. I love him to death. I'll, I miss him when I'm away for like, you know, two hours at a time. And then I want to wring his neck when he like, yeah. you know, when he like throws yeah. a tantrum or something. You're just like, sure. oh, damn it. Like it is the pendulum of, of human emotion, like yeah. just back and forth and back and forth. And you just, you understand your own parents a little bit better too. And not only your, old, uh, your own parents, you understand older people right. who have parented a little bit better. It's like, yeah, this shit beats you up, man. Yeah. And like, you know, we all very much want to judge like boomers and older people. And like, there's a lot of really valid criticisms there, but like they're, they had really tough lives as well. A lot of right. them. Um, yeah. And not only that, like a lot of them just like had different pressure to have kids, have a lot of kids. My, my mom right. was one of seven. You know, my dad is one of five, you know, their parents, they had a different life than us, you know? So yes, there's valid criticisms against those older generations, but I empathize with them a little bit differently now knowing like, oh yeah, they were on the other side of having the shit kicked out of them by their kids for years. (laughs) Right, right. right. Yeah. And now they're just like letting go and being like, fuck this. I'm going on vacation as much as I can. I'm going to have a super comfortable life. And I will, I am clinging to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't agree with that, but I understand it a little bit more. You know, I think for me, it's been interesting because we, I'm, I'm 39. Um, and the, you know, I grew up in kind of like a Christian community. My brother, uh, had kids like, my my brother's four years older than me, but he my nephew's fifteen, and the other one's eleven. And so the age gap, like in like a lot of my friends who've had kids, and like I'm glad we waited a while. You know what I mean? Like like we for me, too, yeah. that was just what you know worked. I wouldn't um, do it any other way. Yeah, yeah. But but there's also that like thing inside of me where it's like they they're past everything, right? And they're yeah. kind of like, and they're kind of like just living their life and um you know we're kind of like stuck back here trying to survive uh type of thing. well i'm about i'm i'll be 38 next month my wife's the same age um 
And, you know, it's funny because, you know, we've been kidless for a long time while people around us have had kids yeah. and ha- they have looked at us with a, you know, sense of envy. Right. And, and I think they're now, now the shoes on the other foot and they're really leaning into it because now their kids are older right. and have that little more of a routine, little more independence and yeah. we're in it, in it. And man, they are really, some of our friends are getting quite a kick out of watching us just <laughs> like be in it now after years of, of not being it. And of course, judging, of course, right. you're always judging as a non-parent right. thinking like, why do they do it like this? Why did that? We won't do it like that. We won't do it like this. So I think, uh, yeah, the oh, other, yeah. the shoe is very much on the other foot right now. We, we told that we, t- you were like, eh, we'll never, we'll never, uh, you know, like our kids won't watch TV. And it's like, sit here for like man miss rachel was on last night i got a three month old and i got the kid in front of the tv yeah right right no Um, i mean i think my in the very beginning my son was like i would feed him and i just have bob's burgers playing on in the background yeah and like he'd hear the intro music and immediately turn to the tv um and i was like oh god okay but like, it's it's that kind of stuff you say, like, I'll never, never, never. And then it's like you, the amount of insanity that's going on that you're just, I need a break. I just need a break. Yeah. Just need that, five minutes, know, 10 minutes. You know, they're going to yeah. be fine. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, type of thing, so I have a strange relationship to TV, though, because, you know, yes, I understand the like actual like de- developmental things at early ages, but um, I love television. I mean, I, I along with film. And I see a lot of value in some of it. But also, um, when I was a kid, I I suffered from insomnia for a couple of years and just mm-hmm. like could not sleep. Just just could not sleep. Uh, this was probably like late elementary school, throughout middle school era. And my parents, you know, bless their hearts, thought like, okay, well, we'll put a TV in his bedroom and maybe that will help him kind of watch TV. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's what he needs to, to watch TV and fall asleep to TV. The exact opposite happened, where instead I just watched TV all night. And there was a significant period of my life in those years where every single night I was watching TV till four or five in the morning. And I I distinctly remember this when reruns of Doogie Howser came on. That's when I knew like, all right, Jimmy, you've gone too far. (laughs) (laughs) You're into the five o'clock hour now approaching six. It might be time to turn off the TV. Um, Not saying that that's necessarily healthy, but um, I don't have the same attitude as some people. It's like absolutely no television. It's like there's good shit on TV, man. Right. There is some good shit and there's a lot to be learned through seeing other people experience things however you get it film television theater whatever um but again you know, that's it, it's not necessarily purveyant to like a toddler watching 20 hours a day right. but um tv will be a part of our life in some way i feel like yeah um i guess like so kind of like how i to kind of get into more like the format of the podcast is more just about questions you know, like the format itself is more about your time in music, like mu- how, how musically you've been influenced, and then just kind of the things that you're passionate about now. Um, I, it's kind of funny. I think I could have guessed you were around my age, specifically because, like, what what was that? You had the summer of George EP, yeah. 
so that there was a time where I was creating music and I like in my early twenties and I was thinking about using the name, the summer of George. Um, and there's a video of you guys playing graduate by third eye blind. Yeah. Really old video. Yeah. And, uh, American hearts by piebald. And so, which are all like fantastic. And like third eye blind is probably one of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah. Um, so very like, special like, place in my heart. I, I could kind of like guess on the age wise, but we um, opened for them once actually. Really? Yeah. We opened for them. Has the podcast started? Can I tell these amazing uh, stories? <laughs> I, well, let, well I, uh, let, let, let's, Should I yeah. save them? Yes. Sa- yes. Save, save them for now. But sure, sure. Um, I just want to thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. I know that, no, I uh, you know, being a new parent and all that stuff, there's very little time for almost anything. So um, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for um, asking. And I just, uh, you know, wanted to start off the podcast just by kind of asking you, I like to ask everybody this, just if you can name either like uh, an artist, a uh, album or a song that really kind of got you into the music scene or kind of like awakened something inside of you. Like for me, that would be like the Counting Crows. Um, you know, but, but like, what would that be for your, who would that be? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I have like, well, both of these are kind of maybe suburban answers, but I think they're just true and and good music. The earliest I can remember the, the first album I ever bought was Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. And there's just something in that record that I really, really connected with, whether it was like the rage or like the, the expressiveness, like the, the almost like melodrama about it, because I, I was a, was an M a sensitive emotional person. Um, and those were the kind of things I responded to. Um, so that was first, but I don't think that really like, I don't I didn't have that like awakenedness feeling. I remember being like, okay, I'm old enough to buy CDs now. I'm responding to this on MTV. I'm going to go buy this CD and I certainly loved it. The second record I bought was really really what what felt like that awakening inside of me and it was Rage Against the Machine's Evil Empire. Nice. Um I mean, I still when I hear that record um just get chills. I mean, just just at the the, the way that it sounds the 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 yes the content but also the 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 material the, the just the way that it feels and sounds just the the tactile like nasally guitar glued to this like almost funky bass and just cymbals and drums and everything the way it all comes together and puts this like punchy powerful experience in place I, I just really, really responded to that. And then that music video too. When I was younger, I just I had this like old bass guitar in my closet that my uncle was throwing away. And I would just stand in front of the TV when that music video came on and I would just get as close as I could to the TV because it's it's like a live 
concert music video essentially it's a lot of concert footage which one which one was it bulls on uh bulls on parade yeah bulls on parade and i would get as close to the tv as i could so like i was not able to see the outside world depriving myself of and i would could pretend like i was on the stage you know feeling that energy of the people and and giving that energy out and that record really was probably what what sparked it in me and just just you know it's the chicken and the egg you know i'm sure like i was glued to and and gravitating towards those things anyway so i think i would have found something else if it wasn't rage at the time um but the time and place of that record and just where i was in my life just like it was truly an awakening for me that would be the first example the second i've spoken about I think in interviews before, but it, it it's just true. Um, Pennywise's Unknown Road, that record um, absolutely blew my mind and just the opening specifically, because if you're familiar with it, it starts with a piano intro. Mm-hmm. And my mom was a piano teacher. So I was, you know, my life was piano music, just constantly playing in my house. And Again, it's also very dramatic. It's a very dramatic opening, and I always tended towards the kind of dramatic like that. The soft piano intro stops, and then the most distorted, crunchiest, chuggiest guitar you have ever heard in your life kicks in, and it just it just like lit my brain on fire. I just was so in love with the way that that felt to hear a guitar like that. Um, so probably those two records started it all, but, um, this was around like middle school time and that was very, that time was very formative. And a lot of the things I liked then I still love third eye blind was in the mix there as well. Um, but also like Ben folds five yeah, and, and, you know, some early new metal stuff like the early Limp Biscuit and Corn records of just right. the time and the age that I was, that was really what sparked it all and and, and set me up to get into kind of hardcore and punk. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would say that my, like personally, my act of rebellion, especially being like a, a kid in youth group and stuff like that was like blasting slipknot and like corn <laughs> and yeah like all those bands you know deftones too i think was yeah. probably bigger for me than limp and corn were at that time and they were i think they're you know time has certainly told that they are the better of of those bands yeah um but even that that first record was huge for me i just was i just wanted like crunchy distorted guitar right. and if you remember that first deftones record um Remember the song, the first single board, it's like jigga jigga dun dun dun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dun, dun. yeah, yeah. I just ate that shit up. <laughs> like I just ate it hook, line, and sinker, and just really, really gravitated towards it. Always was gravitated towards guitars. Just like guitars I before I even knew what they were, I just was fascinated by them. Did you have any older siblings? Yeah, my okay. sister is three years older than me. Okay, because that was and, a huge influence in my life was my brother's music. Yeah. Um, And then that getting, you know, that's how I was introduced to a lot of like early hip hop and then also Nirvana, Pearl Jam, like those types of bands. It's funny, my sister didn't necessarily like a lot of that music. She was like a musical theater nerd. 
um, and and liked some modern rock music, but really when I was that age, she was hanging out with like the skater guys. And really I kind of glommed onto them as older brother figures. Yeah. And her friends that age, just local skateboard dudes. I, I, you know, it was one of those kind of classic cases of like, yeah, I skate, but I really only kind of like the music. I was never a good skateboarder right. ever, but just loved the music. But I do remember I learned something really early at that time because, you know, you got to think this was the 90s that I'm talking about now. This was like mid to early 90s. Um, very much the era of like, you're a sellout or you're not, you know, right. like, fuck you if you sold out underground shit only. But I distinctly remember I was also really into the Smashing Pumpkins at the time. And that was not cool. I mean, that was that they were on MTV. They had a big single not cool to like the smashing pumpkins as opposed to like operation ivy and i remember taking shit from those older guys about it and i just knew even as a you know i was three years younger than them i just knew they were wrong i just knew i just i was like you guys are fucking wrong man i'm listening yeah. to this shit and it's awesome i don't care that it's big i don't care that it's on the radio i don't care that it's your definition of sold out i don't even give a shit man this shit rips almost every person i've interviewed which has not been a lot. It's been like three, but they've all said Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Like again, guitars, you know, yeah. just guitars and, and, and Weezer too. Same kind of thing. Yep. Just that like kind of reappropriating like Black Sabbath for a more poppier kind of, kind of tone, but just, just, yeah, Smashing Pumpkins were huge for me. I mean, like just the way those records sound like you, you can, I, I hate to be that like old man talking about digital versus analog. You're talking to an old man. So. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, as time goes on, I'm less convinced that the argument is actually, you know, digital versus analog as opposed to it's just, we don't seek the right solutions digitally to get those analog kind of sounds. Maybe mm -hmm. I, I don't know, but there is a difference into how those records feel and sound and how you can reach out and touch them yeah. whereas with the digital recording you can reach out and touch the screen but there is this kind of flat compression you lose some of the room at least in a lot of modern you know digital recordings but those old to tape you know 120 minutes bands matt pinfield yeah, kind of yeah, bands yeah. like yeah. that you can just you can close your eyes and you're in the room um, and I just, I was always a very sensory person and I always like glommed on to like just the textures of the things I was watching or the things I was hearing. And those albums just have such great textures. And really, you know, you were asking, you were kind of saying this earlier about like the structure of the podcast and wh what it is about music that you like. And really that's what it is for me. It's texture. Yeah. And, and like, I just love the way those records feel in my in my mind smashing pumpkins particularly just like it's just so cool i mean it just yeah. sounds so good and is that something that you've tried to emulate like on your guys's records and and whatever bands that you've been in is kind of definitely like texture, yeah yeah i mean maybe not that texture but a texture and i think in polar bear club years that we we tried to do that, but that band was we were a democracy in 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 most ways, and you know that 
was great and served us really well. And like, none of us could have done it on our own anyway. We needed each other to figure it all out. Um, but I think because of that, we usually, and we were super collaborative too. We, we usually, you know, we didn't fight too hard on our mixes or we weren't super involved with, we trusted a lot. And I, I'm not right. saying the results were bad. I think that a lot of the results were great. I love the way a lot of those records sound. Um, but I think as I've gotten older on the other side of that experience, I'm way more concerned with having a texture to the songs I record that I'm really, really proud of myself and interested by and have feelings around. Yeah. Um, Polar Bear Club was just like big drums, big guitars, go. And that was exactly what was right for that band. I'm a little, you know, just older now. And like, I, th I think about things a little bit differently. You know, I think about textures and, and records a little bit differently. Which like we might, I mean, I might be kind of m missing the point of what you're saying, but I think one of the, one of the things that my introduction to Polar Bear Club was I was doing a cross country sort of was a cross country. Now I was going from Bellingham, Washington, which is right by the Canadian border all the way down to Tucson, Arizona uh, with a friend. So we did like a road trip down there and a friend of mine made it like a mix. Um, and it had like shook ones on there and like uh, a bunch of other different kind of bands and his devotee came on and I liked the guitars in the beginning. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of like a little more like, I, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but like, it, it was a little more pretty. It was a little more like, I was like emo ish. It felt like to me. And I was like, That's sure. what... and then, that fucking guitar comes in and it's like, and your voice hits. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, you know, it's so funny that you cite that song because that's that. I, I think of that song as like a forgotten Polar Bear Club song. It's that, my favorite song. But this is the second time this week now that this song has come up. Someone randomly messaged me on Instagram a couple days ago and was asking me about that song. And it was like, oh, wow, I, I, that was like a song that. I feel like it maybe got buried a little bit, but a song I I really like as well. Um, but I think you're definitely onto something. I mean, there's that was like the clean and dirty like transition and like hard transition that PBC used to kind of ride. It was more your voice though, the texture in yeah. your voice. I did not know whether I liked it or not at first. Sure, sure. And sure. right, because I was like, I it just it gripped me. I was like, okay, I was not expecting that, and it kind of. It's not exactly, but it had like a little bit of a graveliness that was sort of reminiscent of like, I don't know if you've listened to Shook Ones, but like. Yeah, we toured with them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Many so they're, times, from Bellingham. Yeah. they're from Bellingham, Washington yeah. originally. Um, but it it had that kind of like graveliness to it that I, there was something that texturally in my ear was something that I was like, this is like gripping in a way that I don't you know like yeah necessarily can put my finger on and that's and i was hooked after that that came from um and a lot of shook ones you know stuff came from like kid dynamite you know or um i mean pbc was named after a silent majority song and, mm -hmm. and that was a line that they towed really well vocally um but you know just honestly that sound was was by accident that wasn't planned the way that that my voice ended up sounding yeah um for most of pbc i mean for like it was it was 
the if you listen to the Polar Bear Club demo, it sounds very different, and you, it's kind of finding it. Redder the Better EP cemented a little bit more, and then sometimes things just disappear, cements a little bit more and more and more. But it wasn't really ever a plan. It honestly was because you know when when we recorded the Redder the Better, it was we were still in an, a very early stage as a band and as people, and you know. When you're a young band, you don't ever have a PA in your practice space right. or you don't have a PA that's loud enough to hear over the right. band. So we don't really know what the vocals sound like when we're writing. We didn't record our own demos. So the band is learning what the vocals do while you're recording them. Right. You know, it's night and day from how I do things now. But really that sound and that like dichotomy was a discovery that was very much like this is working right yeah. I, I don't even mean like working like um working like from a sense that like we were necessarily excited about it was almost like by necessity we're like all right this works right all right this will right. get it done let's get it yeah. done yeah, yeah, yeah. um so really that sound was kind of by accident and became just the sound of of polar bear club but it is funny because when you uh, so much back then like people when they would meet me or meet the band just did not believe that I was the singer did not believe that that sound came out of my voice, but it almost goes back to the wrestling stuff because um, it is kind of an affect. It is right. kind of a performance. I mean, it's, it's, it's not authentic. That voice, the gravelly side of that is not natural. That is very <laughs> ramped up. That's very like heightened, heightened, heightened. And and performative and re right. and dramatic, that shift you're talking about just super super dramatic and I don't know that was the stuff that I always tended towards so it made sense that we landed there but it wasn't conscious it was just kind of happened. I I could imagine that I was talking to Joe Mustin from Beloved and um, a band called Advent. I don't know if you know him. Um, I think so, but he's. I, he's uh, beloved was a, a a band that was kind of, I don't want to say like hardcore, but anyway, he he was basically the screamer for their band. And I was talking to him, and I was like, "You're known for this. Like, is there any type of technique that you use, or do you just like go full bore?" He's like, "I just go full bore." And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, uh, I was like, "Is that you know how when you're touring and you're singing night after night after night, like what kind of havoc?" does that reek on, you know, your vocal cords in general? You know what? It's so weird because like, I mean, so th that sound was born out of necessity and also maybe panic too, in a way, because I, I, I my memory's a little fuzzy. I can't remember if it was redder or sometimes just things just disappear. They were recorded at the same place. So I, I conflate some of the memory, but I believe it was on redder where i i had a panic attack in the studio i i just was tracking it was my first time in like a good nice studio with a producer you know hearing me sing mm -hmm. you know i never even really heard myself i mean i was in bands a bunch up into that point right. but it was just different it was different now and it, it wasn't working it, it wasn't working i was failing i was in the booth i was pitchy i wasn't sounding good i was sounding weak i was holding back blah 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 and i was like all right i just need a break i'm gonna go take a restroom break you know 
And I locked myself in the bathroom and I just sat on the floor and I just, I, I just like died inside my own body, you know, like for, for 15 minutes, just stared, you know, yeah. freaking the fuck out. Right. And I just came out just like, all right, let's just fucking shred it. I don't care if I don't have a voice anymore. I don't care if I lose my voice. I don't care. I, I just want to get through this and, right. and, and do it well and, and, and with some emotion. And really, that was a lot of the, the impetus behind the lyrics towards Most Miserable Life, the song right. that ends that, that yeah. EP. It's the same. It's that that kind of expression came from that. Um, but to... Yes, full bore for me. I, I should have done the training. I should have done the stuff. I mean, I warmed my voice up. I right. I I took care of it. You know, I I didn't drink and party when I was on tour. I like would go on vocal rest for days at a time if I need to. Straight up, not talking to anybody. Um, I took care of my voice, but I didn't have like technique, and I maybe should have. But um, I think everything happened the way that it was supposed to. I mean, really, I don't have any. <clears throat> I have some regrets, but they're not around. They're not around like the fact that Polar Bear Club ended a lot, largely in part due to my voice. Um, I that I, I'm glad that that happened. Honestly, I think that the, that my voice was always finite, and I and I like things that are finite. It should. I didn't want that band to go on forever. Um, and the fact that my voice kind of gave out made it a little easier for us to make that decision. Yeah. <laughs> we should have made maybe a year or two earlier, but. Um, but yeah, just was going full bore and it wasn't easy. I mean, it was honestly my rhythm, like not so much towards the end of our touring career, but in the height of our touring career, like kind of the start and mid, my rhythm would always be like, all right, practice a couple days up to the tour. First show sounds great. Second show, voice is starting to get lost a little bit. Third show sounds like shit, don't have a voice at all. And then fourth show, it just kind of reached this like stasis that would maintain for the rest of the tour. And it was not like the best night, but it was like somewhere in the middle, you know, it was just like, right. okay, yeah, it sounds, sounds good for, for maintaining this, but it gave me a lot of anxiety. I was, I was always like worried about, about my voice, you know? I think as somebody, I, I saw you guys in, I drove from Billingham to Seattle. So it was like an hour and a half drive. Uh, and I, Went to go see you guys. I think you were on the Take Action tour, maybe at that point. It was with Bayside. Bayside, yeah. Yeah. And um, what always kind of really impressed me, or just like what gripped me too, is the performance you guys put on. Um, and the the from my perspective, you know, and just as as a fan, you guys put on one of the best live shows that I've been a part of uh, i mean and <laughs> and, and specifically you as 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 a singer are so engaging like and i'm not trying to knock other bands but there are bands who the crowd does more work than they do yeah and to me what draws uh a crowd in is when you involve share and like it, it, it I don't know. And you put forth the energy that the that that the crowd came to see, right? That that means um, a lot that you say that. I appreciate you saying that. And and yeah. I think like that was that is 
that is what I kind of consider my life's work, right? When I look back on like the stuff that I'll be remembered for or whatever, how, whatever like nostalgia-y way you want to think about your right. legacy. Um, when I think about my legacy, it's that. It's, it's, it's our commitment to, to doing that every single night, no matter what. Um, and I, and I say, I think, I think if we had found a better way to capture that sound, that this goes back to the textural stuff of a recording. I, I just think we were a better band to see live than to listen to. And we have some great sounding records and great sounding songs on record. But I think when you saw it live is when it actually clicked and when it was like, Oh, okay. And I, I think if we had found a better way to capture that feeling on record, which we just didn't really know how to do, we, we maybe would have gotten farther than we did. But it, that doesn't matter to me now at all. Right. But I do think of like, I think of myself as a writer and a performer, most of all. Like, I am proud of my lyrics and proud of how we presented the songs and performed them every single night. And that's something I learned early. I remember distinctly... Um, I went on my first tour when I was 17 years old. I was playing guitar in a kind of kid dynamite shook one style punk hardcore band called the disaster. And this was 2001, 2002. This was a long time ago. And we did a tour opening for modern life is war, which right when they were starting to first pop, really starting to pop off. And I watched them every single night. And I remember, you know, we played all over and they gave the same show no matter what. Two people there, 500 people there. It was the same show. And I took that really seriously. And I committed myself to that no matter what, because I just it makes no difference to me. You know, it's like, I'm not going to waste your time. If you're here, if you're here, we're going to connect whether or not you like it. Right. Right. Maybe, but I'm going to give you exactly the mode of expression. If you are one person here, um, or if you are a thousand people here, right. that's something I am very proud of. Um, you know, uh, that's what I, I always found people. really kind of, kind of compelling about, um, a lot of like the hardcore and post hardcore shows where, uh, the involved, like the, I remember, oh, I have a very specific memory of going to see the band first seems forever. Um, and Elliot, and I think it was like the early November uh, on tour, nice. like way, way back when, Elliot was like my second show ever, and it blew oh, really? my mind too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was they. Elliot was on their last legs on that time. I think it was like part of their kind of farewell tour. Um, which Chris, I guess the singer, is like I've reached out to him. We're supposed to talk, I think, at some point. But um, that album, the False Cathedrals album, is amazing. Yeah. Um, U.S. But, songs. The album before that is very, very close to my heart. That was a yeah. Songs in the air. Th- uh, is it songs in the air? Or is it called U.S. songs? Oh, it might be U.S. songs. And then I think their album after False Cathedrals was songs in the air. Yeah, yeah, I think okay. you're right. If only we had a internet tool at our disposal. <laughs> but um, yeah, both of those records huge for me. I wore those 
I had them on cassette. Well, they were like ripped cassettes. Right, you know? right, Walking right. To school, like wore those out. Loved that band. I was a huge first Seems Forever fan at the time. Same. And uh, Jason Gleason, I remember, um, put on some of the best live shows. But I, I very specifically remember uh, the in his involvement, his ability to perform every night. And there was a certain point where he you know he would throw the mic into the crowd and i could hear my voice on the pa and i was like <laughs> that is the fucking raddest thing yeah. i've ever felt like yeah because it, it, it was like i an acknowledgement of sure. you know the participation of like it's not just the band it's like everybody around it yeah it's know? it's a communal expression you know and it's yeah, like the band is in control of it and and moderating it, I guess. But right. um, it's it's sim it's more symbiotic than than you know view audience member and and presenter, I guess, than traditionally would be the case. Yeah. So for you, what like growing up, like what? I'm not growing up. Sorry, not. But when you went on tour, what were what were some of the your favorite bands to tour with? Um, I mean, when I when I was young, young, like pre PBC, we went on tour with Modern Life is War. We went on tour with Strike Anywhere, which PBC also toured with Strike Anywhere. Uh, amazing bands to tour with. But then we also did a tour with From Ashes Rise, which is I don't know if that's like your type of stuff. I've, I've actually never heard of them. I'd... It's like, you know, kind of crusty, heavy, doom, hardcore, oh, okay. just fast, great, great, great. Uh, members of tragedy you know like just just awesome band but those early days love that kind of stuff pbc time um yeah we toured with i mean i mean the tour we did with shook ones was pretty good it was a uk mainland european tour nice title fight opening for shook ones opening for pbc or it might have been shook ones title fight i can't remember at the time what it was but that was a really really fun tour um we did a bunch of cool like one-offs too like um we like our paths crossed with ceremony a bunch in europe just randomly we never did a full tour with them but we always like got along with them and we would every you know a lot, bands go over to europe and stuff around, around the same time specifically around like summer festivals and things like that so mm -hmm. you you'd, you'd cross paths here and there on your little like one-off shows yeah. And Ceremony was a band that we always like loved when we would cross path with because we never did full on tours, but like we played shows here and there with them. And God, what an exciting, exciting band to watch. We had a similar relationship with Fucked Up too, where like we never toured with Fucked Up um, and probably wouldn't like we would have loved to, but they they probably would never have asked us to like open for them or anything like that. But we were on the same australian cycle as them for soundwave okay. festival and so we would go to australia at the same time in this huge festival that australia used to do called the soundwave festival this is a festival that's like headlined by metallica it's massive oh okay and it's like the only touring that would happen in australia for a time they kind of monopolized it for that time but it was a very easy tour it was the cushiest tour you could ever do i mean it was literally hey polar bear club you have three hotel rooms every night. You get half an hour set every day. You're going to play one show. You'll have three days off. You're going to fly Damn. to the next show, play again, <laughs> and just repeat, repeat, repeat. 
such a fun, fun time. It was essentially a vacation, but those big tours, the kind of like like like-minded bands would kind of all find each other. And for some reason us and fucked up would always kind of get together probably because we smoked weed and we (laughs) like smoking weed and we like smoking weed. Um, so we always liked our time with them and played a couple of shy, side shows with them in Australia. But I mean, like our people, you know, like our touring people are like still my friends to this day, people who were at my wedding and I would go to theirs or like, you know, fireworks and four years strong. And, you know, we did a bunch of tours with every time I die. And, um, you know, not that these guys would think about it now, but it's been specifically exciting watching Turnstile blow up because, mm-hmm. you know, we toured with Trapped Under Ice a bunch of times and really got along with them. Like I, there was a time where I would go on stage and sing guest vocals with Trapped Under Ice for shows, like during our tours nice. and stuff. And they were just like-minded people. And like, I, I, I don't, keep in touch with them regularly anymore i saw justice recently ish but they we they were like us and we were like them we felt a kinship with with those kind of bands yeah um as far as like you guys had a couple different lineup changes if i remember correctly oh yeah uh how difficult was it to integrate new people it fucking sucks. <laughs> it sucks ass. Um, no fault of the people. Right. Well, actually, speaking of integrating new people, Daniel Fang from Turnstile auditioned to be one of those oh, people. Oh, really? Nice. He auditioned to be in PBC. Um, <laughs> we went with someone else, not for any other... Like, Daniel's obviously an amazing drummer, but this other guy was just a slightly better fit. Um, and it worked out for him. He's he, he, right, yeah. right, right, right. It worked out for him. Yeah. But um, no, that always sucked. I mean, that always fucking sucked. And it was a lot of lot of work for uh the people left, typically Chris and myself. It was a lot of work for us and required a lot of patience and like time. And um it just was tough. It just it's, it's hard to like I think we a lot of the people that ended up in PBC or like the replacement people were people we knew already and were close with. So it wasn't necessarily a personality thing at all. It's just like you have this like musical connection with this core group and you've spent this time building this like muscle memory amongst the five of you. And then you got to like start over and build it up again. And that just was not, not very fun. How many lineup changes were there? Were there? Well, you want all of them? You want all? Here's no, you... no, 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 no. I'm not gonna. I'll produce give you that. I mean, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you from. So I wasn't in Polar Bear Club when it first started. Okay. So the Polar Bear Club demo was recorded before they had a singer. I joined after that, and it was an entirely different band, different bass player, drummer, and second guitarist. Again, just Chris and I as the original members. Nate. Morris then came in, uh, then Greg Odom, our bass player on Sometimes Things Just Disappear, came in, and then Emmett came in, and then Greg left, and Goose came in, and that, after, um, after Greg left, which was right after the recording of Sometimes Things Just Disappear, that started what would be the core group of PBC, Emmett, Chris, myself, Nate, 
and Goose. Um, that iteration was what started touring full time. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years in, Emmett left and and was replaced. And then uh, Nate left shortly after that. And then Goose left shortly after that. And then ended up with the kind of last version of Polar Bear Club. Yeah. So there was there was a lot of member changes. It was something. It was stuff we were not unaccustomed to sure. but it was never fun to deal with or, yeah. or 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 get people caught up to speed it was it was just kind of a slog to to do touring life in general was that something that was a stressful was was it mentally draining was it a blast was it like all those things yeah it's it's all of those things um it's it is all of those things you know um like that that was also part back to what we're talking about before about like pbc's live show that was another reason why our show was the way it was because it was the most exciting part of our day by a long shot you know by a mississippi mile you know just like (laughs) and we we relished in it not only it was the only exercise i was getting that day right was that was then um it was the only fun i was going to have and it was the small half an hour of a 24-hour day that i was going to be able to do um the thing that i was there to do so we glommed onto that time with that in mind for all those reasons but yeah touring life is is everything that you would imagine i think it's well documented territory you know at this point as opposed to like when i was younger and starting and everyone thinking like it was a constant party which you know yeah there's partying it's fun um but it's a lot of work it's a lot of um like uh a lot of growth as well i mean you get put in situations you know polar bear club was a wide age spread by the time we were kind of full time. I think I was 22, 23. And then the oldest members were like 32, 33, maybe 30. Um, so we had a bit of a spread to like help us navigate sure. situations. You know, yeah. like this is a really adult situation. I'm 22. Oh, I've got a 32 year old here to kind of walk me through this. Yeah. But um, you are out there on your own and the show has to go on. And so, like, when I think about touring, I think of it as like solving problems, you know, like, like, Oh shit. Like tire blew out and we have to, we have, you know, six hours left to drive show starts at X time. Okay. If we call so-and-so they're an hour behind us, we can borrow their gear, but they don't have a snare drum. So we'll call so-and-so for the snare drum and then we'll hobble it all together. You three will go in their van uh, we'll get a rental for the rest of everyone else. We'll get there and we'll all get there in time. We'll walk up, we'll play, and we'll go. Yeah. That's what I think of as tour is like solving like logistical problems like that. Yeah. Um, so there's a part of it that that's my memory of it. But also um, depression was a big part of it for me near the end. Um, and I think a lot of us near the end, it was just lonely, you know, mm-hmm. just like, when the time PVC ended, I was 28 or 27. And I was just had been living my life that way for a long time. At that point, I had missed funerals, missed weddings, missed parties. And I was coming home to like the world just moving on without me. 
and my friends all having like different vernacular almost like yeah, like yeah. my family me being kind of like a ghost to my family you know just not having roots yeah and um i didn't really realize how much that was depressing me until i kind of looked back on it all but so there's a chunk where that's what i think of as touring is depression yeah um for me um but it's not that's not 100 percent of it there's a lot sure. of fun and yeah. good times and meaningful stuff around it as as yeah. well and just you know travel you know seeing things i'm very happy i return to my home and where i'm from and live in, in now having done those things and i right. and i have come back with that knowledge you know <laughs> typical like narrative arc you know returning yeah, home yeah. with yeah. the knowledge yeah. that's that's man you that's a long chunk of your life and yeah. i feel like your your 20s are such growth periods and in ways that like your 30s are cool and are or awesome but there's a lot of learning and a lot of life growing uh going on and to do that in you know the with the view of a of a windshield um you know it's a totally different experience so when polar bear club was done and they were done touring what was the transition like out of that life hard i mean yeah. i mean really hard i mean i just like i i was married I, I, you know i was living in a different city my wife and i lived in jersey city new jersey at the time that polar bear club ended i'm a jersey and boy so there you go originally yeah <laughs> we lived there for five years um why well, so I, I mean, I lived wherever my wife lived, sure. essentially. That's where my home was, even though I was yeah. on the road. And that's where she got her first job out of uh, out of grad school. So we moved down there and I continued touring and then would come back. That would be my home. Yeah. So when PBC ended, that's where my home was, was Jersey City, New Jersey. Um, and it was a really hard transition because not only was I... 27 28 and i didn't have a resume i, I didn't have work right. experience that you can easily explain um i was starting over very very much so um so i was unemployed for about five months and i just was interviewing at jobs i i also didn't have like service industry experience at that time so i couldn't like pick stuff up and right. i i was kind of I was kind of adamant about finding an office job. You know, I was kind of like, I know I could probably get into the service industry now at this age, but I, I don't know why I had a suspicion about it. I had a reluctance towards it because I had friends who were in there and like, it really sucked them up. It really, yeah. really sucked them up. And I was kind of like, you know what? I'm just getting out of a scenario that I was really sucked up in. Um, by my own design, you know, I was in a band and like, I, I want, I'm going to try and get an office gig and kind of see what that's like. I want to do the polar opposite of what I have been doing for the last six or seven years of my life. So I just was applying to jobs, applying to jobs, applying to jobs. And I ended up getting a job in a call center, working nights in a call center down the street from my apartment, actually. Okay. So I could walk to work. Um, it was in the same office building as my wife, too. So we had a good little setup there for a while. Yeah, I walked yeah. to work. I worked nights. She worked during the day. Um, the company I worked for was a subsidiary of Amazon. 
And I just started working, just started working, becoming kind of who I am now. This like boring (laughs) office person. I still do call center stuff. I work in call center management and operations now. I still do that stuff. Yeah. Um, That's what I learned to do and kind of what I liked doing, you know, in professional world. But the transition was tough. Weirdly, though, being in a band, I think, like, helps you in corporate culture in a weird way because everyone's impressed by it. Right. (laughs) Everyone's impressed by it. And everyone thinks it's so cool. And the guy who actually gave me that first job, I still talk to him to this day. Um, He was a big Bad Religion fan. And he saw Polar Bear Club opening for Bad Religion like a year before. And I'm interviewing for him. He pulls me aside after the interview. He's like, how do I know you? And I was like, I used to be in this band. He's like, I saw you play like (laughs) four months ago or whatever. That got me that job. I'm pretty sure. Um, But yeah, I mean, up to that. So from that point, once I got that job, I, 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 I was more settled. But there was about five months in between that where I was aimlessly wandering, not sure what I was going to do next. But honestly, I mean, so there was that period. Then I got the job. I didn't think about music, though, or touch my guitar or write a song for like two years after Polar Bear Club ended. I mean, I really put it down. Like, I really, really put it to bed. I put the guitar in the closet and I closed the door and I didn't open that door for two years. Um, And I think I needed to do that. But when I got back to it, it felt so good. And like, I felt totally reborn and coming to it with fresh ears and fresh eyes. I think I think a thing that not a lot of bands talk about post their careers or some bands that are maybe from our era is how your taste changes. Mm. Um, And like, I just think I didn't, I like, I, I, I liked Polar Bear Club music. I like, I still like it, but the bands that we ended up kind of associating as much as I like, appreciate and love them personally and love their like talent for what they do it wasn't really music i listened to or was excited by um and that's just me you know but i i i it it wasn't for me and i felt like i i felt a little like an alien in that world to some extent and i really spent that those two years after pbc like rediscovering my love for music kind of lost it in a way um and that happens to a lot of bands you know it's like how many songs you want to write songs about your life um but your life is writing songs right and playing songs and being in a band how many songs can you write about being on tour all right you know like like and that just it became this insular thing and i didn't know what kind of music I liked. I also didn't know what I wanted to say anymore. I didn't know what I had to say anymore. Yeah. And so I think I took that time after PBC and just reset and relearned what it is that excited me about music. And honestly, to go full circle, it all just went back to that 90s stuff and that yeah. sound and that that texture of music. Um is something I, I I sort of rediscovered. Honestly, yeah, I grew up in like the punk and hardcore world, but I don't really consider myself 
that in terms of my identity. I, I more right, identify right. myself as like an alternative rock listener, yeah. I guess. Um, so I think I had to like rediscover that a little bit. Was, was there any point in the band where you're like, I'm doing, I'm doing this, but like, and I enjoy it to an extent. And I don't really know, like, I don't know if I would necessarily be identifying with this music if I wasn't in this band or I wasn't like, cause what I'm hearing you is like, like it almost sounds like you were like, I'm doing this, but I don't have that much con- like internal connection. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to like misrepresent it. I, we always had the internal connection. I right. think what I was missing or the piece that I was missing is like, who was listening to it and why they were listening to it. Because I think a good band, like a band that lasts has to know part has to balance kind of two things. One, what excites them? Yeah. I mean, well, there's, there's kind of a couple camps here, you know, there's like thinking about like the Jay masks of the world or like the David Bowie's of the world. They, they are making music and they only are thinking about what excites them, right? They don't necessarily care about what the people want to hear it just so happens that what excites them also excites the people you know right pbc wasn't like a band of geniuses like that you know we were good and we were talented but we weren't like that level of genius so i think bands of our elk and bands that did what we did well that was a big part of it what excites us first and then like how does that translate to what people actually want to hear from us and what will either, and what will exceed their expectations and surprise them uh, from what we present to them? Not that you write with that goal. Like we never wrote a song thinking Mm -hmm. like we need to write a song that other people like, you know, we, we wrote for ourselves very much, but I just think I just stopped understanding what the person who listened to polar bear club wanted out of Mm -hmm. it anymore near the end. Um, we really were always excited by our songs and excited by the last record for sure. And we, we only wrote to, to please ourselves, but like it never comes out the same way you hear it in your head. And hopefully it doesn't lose so much where it's not like good anymore. I just think I was losing the balance. I was like, all right, I was, I'm excited by this. I don't really know how other people hear this now though. I don't know what's lost in translation. I don't know what is good. What's we were just in the weeds, you know, we were just like, we were, we, we had lost ourselves. Um, if that makes sense, but it just, you know, I, I I mean, the last album, obviously there is a stark shift in vocals on that. Um, and was there a sense in, in there? Cause I remember reading your thing that was like, I, it just hot garbage came out. Yeah. Um, and sorry background child yeah someone was standing at the door and i was like one second and my wife came (laughs) over and grabbed (laughs) oh my god i love that Uh, (laughs) um i don't want to keep you two but i no, no, it's no no but however you want to wrap it they just they they, he probably just woke up um he takes like an afternoon nap or whatever but oh you're on the west coast um, i forgot too yeah 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 yeah. that's all it's all good um and uh, like i remember reading the thing i remember reading the thing and i was like you know i I tried to sing and just it just sounded like 
garbage. Like it's sort yeah. of like like hot garbage. Did you know when you put that record out that you were like, I don't know how this is going to go over with people because I think other people might have been like really accustomed to the graveliness of your voice and um, like what was what was it like losing that sound, I guess, of your voice and then trying to put something out? Yeah, I mean, I I hesitate to say this because I like that record. Um, the guys in the band like that record. I'm proud of so much about that record. And I know a lot of people like that record. And I don't want to like, I don't want to like ruin any aspect of it for them. But again, it's like at this point, that's like almost 15 years ago. I mean, it's getting, it's like 10 years ago at this point. Let's just talk openly about, at least I'm going to talk openly right. about it. Yeah. Um, that record is kind of my one big regret. Um, and, and, and I don't, I don't mean it like that. I'm not proud of it. I just think if I could do it again, I would have ceased production on that record. Um, I, I, but you know, we were just young. We didn't know. I didn't, I, I didn't have the confidence in my decision-making to like pull the plug on a big budget project like that. Yeah. You know? I, I, but in hindsight, I, I wish I had, um, because you know, that just, that's what we were dealing with on that record. Like the, the intention of that record, I'm fully confident if we released the version of that record that we had planned to, um, just would have, would have been different. Like the idea with that record was that the vocals were going to be harder and more gravel. Oh, wow. And the songs were going to be a little poppier and the contrast was going to go, we were going to try and stretch the contrast a little further apart. Yeah. And there's actually a demo of why live when you can die that we recorded before we recorded that album where my voice is largely the same, largely like what you know of as polar bear club. And it sounds really cool and good. And like, that's, that was the idea of that record. Um, but we went in and something happened to my voice and it wasn't doing what, we thought it was going to do and we muscled through because that's what we did as a band. You know, that's what we were used to doing as a band touring. You power through, right, you power right. through, you white knuckle through. And there's a lot of really good stuff on that record. Some of my favorite melodies are on that record. Some of my favorite lyrics are on that record. The production of that record is one of the best sounding polar bear club records. Obviously it's will. Yeah. He makes amazing sounding records, but um, if I could do it again, I would have stopped the whole thing and said, let's let's stop this and let's recenter ourselves because we just it just got away from us. It got away from me. It, everyone else played amazing on the record. It sounds good, but it got away from me. And I think at that time in the band, just naturally with all the member changes and and where things had landed, I had become kind of an authority figure in the band it was always kind of me and chris but like chris was maybe even deferring to me at that time as well and i don't think i took that role serious enough and i should have stepped in as the the leader of that band and said this isn't the intention of this project we're pulling the plug we're gonna go and we're gonna go back and we're gonna write 
more and better and different. And we're going to come back when we're more ready to do this because we've got this big hurdle thrown at us and we shouldn't, maybe shouldn't white knuckle through it. Let's take it offline and refigure this thing out. Um, that's maybe what I would have done, but I think also the way that it happened the way it did, like there's good reasons that it happened the way it did too and led to good aspects like, but, but really Chris disagrees with me on this, by the way, I've talked to him about this. He has no regrets and as he shouldn't like there, this is very inside baseball. Right, 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 right. And I say that hoping that the listeners of this and the people who love this, that record can compartmentalize this information as I can when I hear things about records I love and like sure, yeah. hear shitty things about them. Um, but that's just my big regret from PBC is that I didn't do that and I didn't stop it um, because that just wasn't the idea. We just, we dealt with what we had and we played the hand we were dealt and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, it's I don't think that record's a total failure. I don't think, I think the record sounds good. I think there's great songs on it. Um, but at the time where we were at, at our career, we needed a home run, you know, like a grand slam and, you know, say what you will about that record. It's not a grand slam. Um, so yeah, I don't know that. That's... Yeah, how'd, how'd you know when things were done for you guys? Like what, what was that process like as far as like, we're, we're done with the band or like, yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, so we finished death chorus and that was a really kind of stressful tough time and we knew you know we had to go do some touring on it and we toured it and we had spent probably five years before that only doing support tours you know very minimal headlining shows one-offs sure here and there but primarily we spent that time as a support band. And so Death Chorus was coming out and now is our big time to do a headliner. And we put together this awesome headlining package and like some shows were great. The first and last show of that tour, the last Polar Bear Club show was incredible. It was in Philadelphia. It was the last show of the Death Chorus tour. It was an amazing show. Uh, New York, the church. Um, oh, Unitarian. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. New York, amazing. Toronto, amazing. All of our staple cities were amazing. We had a lot of good shows. We had a lot of fucking shitty shows on that tour. A lot of shows were just like, you know, we had Citizen opening up for us. They were just starting to pop off. And, you know, just just the times were moving past Polar Bear Club. And we were kind of seeing that firsthand. And so that tour ended and it didn't go the way that we needed it to go or the way we wanted it to go. And got home took a couple of days, just collected my thoughts. And I called Chris. I actually, I can't remember if he called me or I called him, but no, I, he, no, he called me and we were hit about two weeks off and we were slated to go to Europe in two weeks. And Chris called me and was like, there's no way I can go to Europe. There's just no way I can mentally do it. And, uh, I don't think I can do this band anymore. And I told, and he was very nervous about what I was going to say. And he was anxious about it. And I told him, dude, I'm was one day away from calling you and saying the exact same thing. Like, this is done. This is just done. Right. And he was like, yeah, it's done. 
And so, you know, he and I were the decision makers at the time. So we ended it, called all the people, told everyone, canceled the European tour, which, you know, was shitty and sucked and not happy to do. But like, there was just no way we were going right. to be able to do it mentally. Um, and it was done. And then we were just thrown into the world and yep. normal citizens. Very strange. <laughs> In, super strange. Yeah. Super strange In, feeling. Into uh, Jersey City. Yeah. 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 I grew up in Bergen County, which is uh like I don't know, probably about 20 minutes or out outside New York City. So around yeah. Jersey City and yep. in that in that area. Uh, I love living there. I lived I lived around the corner from Benny Horowitz, drummer of Gaslight Anthem, who's oh, a, nice. a good old friend. Uh we started a band down there and we're jamming and like uh had a fucking blast living down there. I'm, I'm kind of, I miss it to, to some extent. I'm glad I, I wasn't too. when I go back, now. which is like very, very, very rarely because my entire family moved to the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, I, I miss, I miss my wife and I moved to Philadelphia for a year for her to, to get, uh, her, wasn't, yeah, her bachelor's in nursing at Drexel. Um, and so I got to go kind of back there and nice. Um, yeah, there's still people I have connections with and, and whatnot. I lived there until I was 22, uh, 23. And then I moved yeah. out to Seattle and whatnot, but I love Seattle uh, too, though. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, and, and now I live out right, like right outside of Portland, uh, okay. in, in Vancouver, which is like across, across the river there. Um, I guess I kind of want to just ask, like, what, what are you, what's going on now? Like, what's, what are you passionate about? Um, you know, what do you, what's, what's life look like now? Well, so now it looks like a baby, nonstop, <laughs> nonstop <laughs> baby stuff. But, but I, you know, that's, that's just what this time is. And in, 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 a, in, when you have a newborn, um, but like project wise, you know, obviously film is a big, big part of my life and, very passionate person about about film and honestly i sometimes feel like i identify more with that than than music sometimes but uh so i i started this like pandemic movie club thing that has been going now for 3 years and absolutely love it it's run on discord so i do that um we we essentially watch a film a week uh, then get together on Sundays and, and discuss it. It's it's really cool. I think the Discord server itself has like just under like a hundred people in it. Oh wow! But you know, active is right. more like twenty, and then the meetings ends up more like twelve to seven people. But it's from all over. It's you know, there's people from the UK, West Coast, East Coast, all in between. It's it's really really useful and and necessary in my life right now to have this like touch point of film watching and discussion um so that's really important to me um and then music like i said i'm 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 starting to build out a small like studio setup and i play in a band right now called shy tooth that's you know a little different from polar bear club it's more like power pop noise pop um and we're going to start recording our own records and and huh. so that's what we're we're working on now so yeah. that'll take some time because we work in it like once a week because we all have kids and blah blah yeah. blah but um i still write songs and watch movies that's what i do <laughs> <laughs> now there's I'm, a baby in the mix. yeah i'm actually i my 
bachelor's degree was in tv and film so oh amazing my yeah my original i was like if i'm gonna go to school like i'm i'm gonna study something that i want to study and yeah. so i ended up like literally my like my job at school was to like watch films like we had film appreciation best oh my, yeah uh my one of my professors was like wrote a book on david lynch and um so funny yeah it was just it was it was awesome uh it was, it was great i don't know how translatable it was in the world i was kind of doing the i mean yeah you know taking the train to new york city and was doing some kind of like production stuff but i kind of realized how much like one you had to bust your ass and not get paid a lot and then two just like the way i just i wasn't made for like the style of living that was in new york yeah. and new jersey it just same. wasn't yeah same That's probably it, it just, I, I but you know what yeah. i will say because i have a useless degree as well i have a degree in acting and theater i went to like a bfa program for okay. acting and it's embarrassing to say, but I'm not embarrassed by it uh, for the same reason that I uh, you might relate to as well. Working in production, right? That's really what I experienced was working on a production. And we worked, right. part of that program, we worked every angle of the production. I built costumes. I built scenery. I performed. I did makeup. I did everything. I worked productions. Right. And that kind of work ethic, I think, I am very glad I went to school for that. Right. Actually, yeah, it doesn't translate to anything I do now. It, it, well, not most of the things I do now, um, but it is a. It did instill like my program was essentially I would go to class all day, and then if you were not in a production, you were working on a production. You had work study right. from six to ten every night. So I'm in class all day, and then I'm doing labor and work building shit right, from six right. to 10 every single night. Yeah. Um, that's like, that was a, I was really happy to learn how to work like that, that, yeah. that instilled a work ethic that I don't, I don't see in a, in a lot of people, but I didn't do any like film stuff in school, but I was very passionate about it. And there was a class, probably one of the best classes I ever took. It was called David Lynch and Orson Welles. And it just was a, just a first half of the semester is Orson Welles. Second half is David Lynch. Yeah. And I fought to get into that class. <laughs> I had to sit down with the professor because I was doing my work study. Yeah. So the screenings I couldn't go to because I, most of the time I was working on a production until 10 PM. Right. Yeah. I sat down with the professor of that class and I said, listen, I will do whatever it takes to be a part of this class. <laughs> If you put the films available in the library, I'll watch them on my own time. I'll watch them, you know, overnight if I have to, but I'm taking this class. And she was just like, okay, cool. Okay, <laughs> okay yeah. sure. You know, and I still yeah. was one of the best classes I ever took. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I, I'm, I'm assuming, do you still, you live on the East Coast? Do you still live in New York yeah. or? I live in Rochester, New York, okay. where I'm from. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's and there's a whole different vibe on the West Coast than there is on the East Coast. Uh, it's just in terms of, you know, it's like either if you're going to get like move somewhere for the entertainment, right, it's either New York or LA, right, right. right. Um, and it's like I miss the, I miss some of that New York attitude or just even bluntness or, 
just that I, I look, there's a little bit of a term rush. that I hate hustle. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate that term, but it's like, it is true. And it's like, there is nothing like it. And I'll, I'll be, I'll room. be like standing at a place to get coffee here. And I'll be like, I've been waiting fucking two minutes. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> like yeah. what? Like there's this like, like, and I worked in the service industry. Like, I worked <laughs> as a waiter and stuff like that. And I different was, vibe, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, different I, vibe. It just took you 10 minutes to even acknowledge my existence. Why? Like, <laughs> um, we need more of that, though, at East Coasters. <laughs> we, we need some of that. They need some of what we have, too, but right. we need some of what they have. Right. They, they yeah. Need the balance. You know what's very interesting, though, that I'll say is that living on. Uh, the West Coast, especially in the Washington area, is that it is really, really, really difficult to make friends. Um, sure. People are incredibly nice to you, but they will not let you into their inner circle. It ah, takes time so interesting. Time. Yeah. And whereas I found like, you know, I grew up around a lot of Italians and, uh, you know, just like all all sorts of diversity. But you know it was like you were people would kind of be mean to you but then they would like buy you a beer they'd do anything for you like yeah. I, at the same time and it's just it like was, very it was fast time. initiation right it was like let me let me see if you can withstand right yeah yeah, 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 yeah. right 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 yeah. and then if you can i very quickly know that right. you are you are accepted in my circle yeah. where i think that west coast mentality you're referring to is is a little nice a little more padded right but the padding is thicker it's, very <laughs> it's harder, thick. yeah. harder to get yeah to yeah yeah um and i remember i was on like a, a subreddit or something like that and i was talking about you know the difference that i was i saw between like uh west coast or people in seattle this area versus growing up in new jersey and somebody was like why wh why does everybody complain that we don't want friends i don't want any more friends i like like why is that a thing and i i, I was like i don't they're like i don't need to be your friend i have enough and to me that was like a totally like different mind shift because when you grow up in that area it's kind of like the more the merrier like yeah, everybody's yeah. like you're fit you know what i mean like like you grew up in a lot of i grew up in a lot of like italians in the area who are just like when you're here you're family it doesn't matter right right you also there's like a also a bluntness about that that is not exactly you know very well it's also holy, like but punk and hardcore community <clears throat> too or like scene community is like the more the merrier you want right, this, right you right. want the community to be as robust as possible but it's like not everyone thinks of their relationships as fostering a community they right. think of their relationships as like these are mine these are my right, special right, right. things and i yeah. think you know go going to shows and stuff like that it was like or or playing shows my my mentality is always like yes more people <laughs> yeah. right right, right. Yeah, more people yeah. Yeah. <laughs> more people makes it easier to pay the band yes more more yeah. more <laughs> um yeah i guess uh I wanted to ask, well, there's one question I want to ask is who is Dr. Howe? Oh, gosh. You know, I almost forgot until you mentioned it. And I was like, do I remember this? I do. Uh, Dr. Howe was a therapist I called at the time. Oh, how fitting for you. Was a, a therapist I called at the time who didn't 
he was the first therapist I ever called. I was very young when I wrote yeah. that song and that lyric. And I was in need of therapy. And I called a therapist for the first time. I was scared to do it, didn't know what to expect, but knew I needed it. And he never called me back. Mm. And I just thought that was funny. <laughs> you know, I just yeah. thought as a kid, I was like, this is really funny. It, on my end, I am viewing this uh, this phone call as like this grand attempt come out of my shell and finally ask for the help I could never ask for before. But on his end, it's just a client he couldn't take on. <laughs> right. And I right. just found that that difference kind of funny. Well, I think that one, it's a problem. Like it's, I, I, you know, and as, as a therapist, I'll, I'll admit to that, like calling people back one is honestly, I'm, I don't like talking on the phone. Like I'm terrible. Yeah. At, like it's one of my things that I'm like I get anxious I don't about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I prefer that people like email me through my website when I can or like text message. But it's good to hear that because sometimes we get so lost in the business aspect of things, or yeah. just like I, you know, I've got a million other things going on, and and these people are reaching out to me because they need help, right? right and right. it's like I can't. The the least I could do is like tell them I can't help them right now. Right, right. right. Touch <laughs> like, base, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but, you know, like, I get it. I get, I totally. Well, when get I it first and... when I first started out, I was like very intentional. I was like, I'm going to call like every single person back, and um, and then it quickly became more like self preservation. Sure. Where I was like, I can't unfortunately have a 20 minute like conversation with yeah, you about yeah. you know, like what's going on. Um, but I had always wondered that like. That just, you know, the music that you guys wrote was and in like a really, I clung on to, um, sometimes things just disappear like, like very hard during a, during a breakup with actually like my now wife, but, um, is your wife's name Ashley? No, 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 no. Or did no, you say uh, actually? Actually, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. My wife's name is Ashley. That's okay. why I said that. Oh, is your wife's name Ashley? Okay. Um, so that was really, you know, that that was super important to me. Actually, I have that on vinyl, and I have the red of the better on vinyl. Um, but I think you probably know, but like to me, it's cool that to know that something you've created can touch people in a certain way in a way in ways that you probably don't even realize that it does yeah you know um, and, and i still take that like that's that's a responsibility and a notion that i always really took seriously and was i mean at the end of the day that's the whole point that right. is the whole point right. and like you spend so when you're like a professional musician you spend so much of your time doing other stuff. And like when you get face to face with that little thing and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to honor this. I still right. I still am very diligent about honoring that. I still get messages from people about that stuff. And I respond to every single one because it's just it's very meaningful to me. It's very like, yeah, that's why that's why I did it right. was for this, for you to connect with this. Um, I'm always amazed. I still, though, it still surprises me, like, to hear for some reason. 
Like I, I forget sometimes that we did it and that it was there for people to connect with. And sometimes the ways people connect with it are not the ways that I planned, but right. that's kind of the beauty of it too. Right. Um, I was thinking, what was the last thing on just, I, so the, I think like that song convinced I'm wrong. I mean, like this, I, I first like just because i always wonder if your doctor how was that hits me in a way that makes me feel so sad like yeah it really does and listening to that song in general made me like i like i would have to skip it sometimes sure because that that part was like what good am i to anybody like this like i was going through that breakup and i i felt that right yeah that was partly a breakup song too actually a lot of those feelings were on the backs of a breakup situation at the time yeah um and yeah you know i i for better or worse you know whatever our our strengths were as a band or even my strengths as a lyricist i was always very like very concerned with getting it right you know getting being true and honest about the the feeling um and you know i don't think i planned for all the ways that that happens but i'm I'm happy to hear that it does happen and funnily enough that is one of our most popular songs Hmm. um and we as a band didn't really think of it that way we a lot of times didn't play it live for many many years but um if you look at like our spotify plays i think that's number one or number two is that song and i think it's because of that there is just a feeling in that song that um is palpable you know uh, hopefully so at least yeah last last question uh what movie of yours or that that you can think of like and i'll tell you mine but <laughs> what movie do you think has the the most uh like beautiful cinematography Oh my gosh. That changes a lot for me. Um, because there's so much. There's so much beautiful cinematography. And and if you asked me this five years ago, the answer would be different. If you ask me five years from now, the answer will be di- different. But right now I'm really drawn to like naturalistic cinematography. Um, like very into Paris, Texas right now and and bobby mueller specifically as a cinematographer but also um like minimalist and architectural cinematography like you know michael mann movies or um most recently like rai uh Suki hamagachi movies drive my car and and asako one and two and just like nothing nothing too showy nothing too flashy i love a lot of that flashy cinematography like you know obviously roger deakins and and um i mean really love like jack cardiff if you want to go way way back powell and pressburger movies like the movies that he shot just he i mean just clearly really flashy just awesome cinematography and not flashy in a bad way just like expressive beautiful cinematography yeah but now i'm into a little more minimalistic stuff right now just angles and buildings nothing too nothing too 
prescribed and and pre-built, but something that feels a little more happened upon. Okay. Something that's more like a reappropriation of a space that was always there, but you never quite saw it like that. Um, and you know, Paris, Texas is a good example of that yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm particularly drawn to, I mean, honestly, as soon as with my job, um, and the amount of emotional, like s- sucking it takes out of me, like watching movies is really hard. I, so, I, I totally get I, that. Totally. You know, get that. Yeah. So like, for me, it's like, I always like lean back on, you know, certain things, but during my grad school program, we were, we had to watch, um, the outlaw, Jesse James killed by the mm-hmm. coward, Robert Fulton. Have you seen that movie? Yes, yeah. Love you, the cinematographer. Uh, the the assassin, the the Brad Pitt version. Yeah, yes. yeah, the, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah those, that's those... The, that's Roger Deakins. Yeah, oh, okay. Roger Deakins, and like the cinematography that is incredible. You know, absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, that's shots. like a that's like a forgotten masterpiece. That movie has aged very, very well. I watched yeah. it recently, ish. You know, within the last two years, and that's a good one. That's a keeper for sure. So I got to get movie going after that is really good too. Actually, which one yeah. is that? Killing them softly. He did a gangster movie. Oh. The director's name I'm forgetting for some reason. The second I see it, I would know it. But uh, killing them softly also really good. I too have to go. I have to go relieve my wife as well. <laughs> yeah, what a great thing. note to end on. Yeah. I I I really appreciate it. It's been an honor for yeah. me to be able to talk to you. Um, I I don't know when I'll get these episodes out. What I'm trying to do is cluster a few together because people will say they'll do it and then they back out and right. then, you know, stuff like that. Um, I'd be interested in that. Uh, if you want to Instagram message me or, or email me the, the movie discord, that would be great. Yeah, for sure. Um, and let me know if there's anything like you th- thought of and you were like, I really think maybe I don't want that in the episode. Sure. Sure. And I don't have like, like many listeners. So all good. It's not going to be like, yeah, broadcast. Um, but I, I will add one thing quickly. Uh, Andrew yeah. Dominic is the name of the director of that. Film. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. Worries. I was like, all right. I have to look this up. Who the fuck? I can't. I know. I know this person's name and love their films, but age is happening to me and I can't remember things. <clears throat> so yeah. in a bitch, right? Gosh. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the amount of the amount of alcohol that I can consume is no longer where it was, and and all these different. Oh yeah. My knees hurt. <laughs> it's all bad <laughs> well, thank you and thank you for for your craft and what you do and you know just what it's what it's meant to me and it's been been really awesome to be able to to talk with you about this stuff so thanks so much man i, I, I really it. appreciate it happy yeah. to happy to come on well that about does it for this episode if you like the podcast please consider subscribing you can find us on all major podcasting platforms and on Instagram at the Scenecast. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.